everybody? How's it going? Y'all alive on this Sunday morning? Yes? Awesome. I'm so excited to be up at the lake. I've heard everything is greater up here. Is that true? Awesome. Okay, they don't let us come out of our South End Cave very much. So when they do, like, we're super excited. And, you know, we got the windblown look, like Pastor Matt said, because, you know, we rode our scooters up here. Not true. But, you know, I would like to, like, tie Matt to the back of it on the scooter and see, you know, driving up how that would go. Anyway, if we haven't met you, our, my name is Diana Henderson, and we, as Matt said, we get to be the campus pastors at South End Campus, which, by the way, we've been at this church for 16 years. Isn't that incredible? And can I just tell you, in 16 years, we have seen our pastors stand firm and stay consistent the whole time. And that is not common to have leaders and believers stand firm like that. So can we just give it up for our senior pastors, Troy and Penny Maxwell? We have watched them lead through some dire times, but every single time they said, we don't care who's sitting in the seats because we're serving the master, the king of kings who sits on the throne. So amazing. Awesome. Well, if you're new to Freedom House, then you've may not learned yet that we have what's called a teaching team. It's a group of communicators that rotate around each of our campuses every weekend so that you get a live word of God. Pretty incredible, right? Well, I love to share the gospel. I'll never forget, I started preaching like seven years ago, but the first time I was like, what in the world do I have to contribute from a gospel perspective? And the Lord said, it's not about you. It's about what I have to say. And I said, okay, I'll take that. All right, guys, we have been in a series all month called Seven. Everybody say Seven. And it is all about the book of Revelation. If you are not familiar with the Bible, just flip to the very back and you'll find the book of Revelation. It was written by a guy by the name of John. He was the last surviving of the 12 original disciples. And he was exiled to the island of Patmos because the Roman Caesars couldn't get rid of this dude. So they just exile him to this island. And the book of Revelation, I'll never forget, the first time I read it, I thought I was reading like Lord of the Rings. You got dragons and demons, and plagues, and incense, and angels. It's kind of kind of crazy, right? Well, you know, some believe that the book of Revelation is called the doctrine of eschatology, the study of the end times. But I like to think of it like a superhero movie series. And Jesus, King of King, Lord of Lords, in the last final episode, he returns and he redeems and he restores. And guess what? He gets a big old victory for all of us. Amen. Kind of awesome, isn't it? Well, the book of Revelation literally means an unveiling. So if you're like me, you're going, well, what's being unveiled? Well, let's find out. We're going to read chapter 1, verse 1 of Revelation. It says, the revelation of Jesus Christ. There's your answer, which God gave to him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John. So there's two things that are being revealed in the book of Revelation. The first is Jesus Christ himself. But what I want to challenge our thinking on for just a second, anybody watch The Chosen? Yeah? You see like the sweet Nazarene Jesus, like he's good looking, he's sweet-natured. 
Well, the Jesus that's described in the book of Revelation, he's got eyes that are blazing like fire. His hair is white like wool. His feet are shining bronze. His voice is booming like thunder. And he's got a double-edged sword coming out of his mouth. Like, y'all, that is bad donkey Jesus. And why is it important that we know this Jesus? Because when he comes back, we better know what we're looking for. Amen? Awesome. The second revelation is the what soon must come, what, what Jesus is describing to his servants as what must take place soon. That's the dragons and the demons and making sure that we know what to expect. And then sandwiched in between these revelations is a profound teaching that Jesus delivers to the seven churches referred to as the seven lampstands. And we're going to unpack that today. What I want to share really quick, though, is there's three parts to the book of Revelation that might help you as you're studying the book on your own. The first part is what you have seen. That's chapter one. The second part is what is now. Everybody say now. That is chapters two and three. That's what we're going to unpack today. And then the third is what will take place later. That's chapter four to the end. So we're focusing on what is now. And we're going to pick up with John on the island of, of Patmos, Revelation chapter 1, verse 10. It says, on the Lord's day, I was in the Spirit. That's a capital S, y'all. That means Holy Spirit. Come on. And I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet, which said, uh, write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. These were the seven physical churches in what was known as Asia Minor, now modern-day Turkey. But how many of you know that Jesus was actually delivering a prophetic word? Because we just talked about that this part of Revelation is the what is now, meaning there's no time stamp. You know, if you say now two weeks ago, it means now. And if you say now six months from now, what does that mean? It means now. Good job. There's no time stamp. So the word that Jesus delivered was a prophetic word. And I believe it was a forewarning to the present day Christians of the subtle lure that could pull us away from our faith. So Jesus is saying, hey, listen, if you'll pay attention and if you'll allow me, I want to put my finger on a place in you that needs to be addressed. And if we'll allow him, I think he's going to hold up a mirror to show us some things in each of us that need to be addressed. I love, I heard a pastor once say that the Bible isn't written to us, but it's written for us. That affirms that. Now, I'm going to cover the church of Pergamum and unpack what Jesus said to the church of Pergamum today. And I want to start by saying the church of Pergamum was compromised. They were compromised. Turn to your neighbor and say compromised. They had compromised their beliefs. What's the word compromise mean? Well, Webster's Dictionary says it's accepting standards that are lower than is desirable. Or as I like to say, accepting less than God's best. Compromise can be dangerous. Have you ever compromised in something to appease someone you love? Maybe you hung out with a couple that you didn't really like very much, 
but, you know, your significant other likes them, so I'm just going to compromise. Or maybe you've compromised to avoid conflict. Anybody been in a conversation recently about something that might have been a controversial topic, homosexuality, abortion, and you're like, I'm just going to reserve my conservative views on this because I don't want to offend anybody. Sometimes we compromise in relationships. The person that we're seeing is not exactly who God has for us, but we're compromising because they're available or maybe because we, we feel like they'll settle for the time being. Compromise is dangerous. There's a hunter in the woods, and he came upon a bear. So as he sees this bear, he pulls up his rifle. He's getting ready to shoot. And then the bear uh, stands up on its hind legs, and then the bear speaks to the hunter. And he says, hey, listen here. I think that maybe we can negotiate I think that maybe we can arrive at a compromise here. You see, what I'm looking for is a full belly. And the hunter thinks for a minute, and he's like, well, I'm looking for a fur coat. And the bear says, you see, I think that we can compromise here. Well, not too long later, the bear walked away completely alone. Y'all get that? (laughs) Compromise is dangerous. Compromise is dangerous. The church of Pergamum was compromised, but not in an obvious way, not in a really overt way. So I want to dig, in this, dig into this together. We're going to read Revelation chapter 2, verse 12. It says, to the angel of the church in Pergamum write, these are the words to him who has the sharp, double-edged sword. Who's that? Jesus. I know where you live, he says, where Satan has his throne, yet you remain true to my name. You did not renounce your faith in me, not even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness who was put to death in your city where Satan lives. Now let's unpack this for just a second because Jesus is saying, listen, I got your number. I know what you're facing. I know what you're dealing with. He says, you're literally surrounded by evil. You're under pressure. You're under trial. And I get it. I see you. And I recognize that you've stayed faithful. He's saying, well done, good job, I'm proud of you. You know, if I were to compare Freedom House to the seven churches, I would say that Freedom House is most like that of Pergamum. If you look at what we faced over the last couple of years, persecution, struggle, but what have we done? We've remained faithful. We said, guess what? We're not moving from the word of God. We are standing firm no matter what happens. And Jesus is highlighting that. He sees you. Verse 14, nevertheless, that's a big old butt, y'all. He's saying, however, I got some beef with you. I have a few things against you. There are some, everybody say some, among you who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin so that they ate food, sacrificed to idols, committed sexual immorality. And likewise, number two, you also have those who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. This is where he's convicting them. He's saying, guys, there's some stuff going on that I need to call to your attention. If you're not familiar, Balaam was a ruler from the Old Testament, evil ruler. And he was trying to get the Israelites to worship the pagan gods. And when he was unsuccessful, what he did is he took a bunch of good-looking women, 
And he sent them to seduce the Israelite men. And literally, in the very act of adultery, they convinced these men to worship the pagan gods. And then the teaching of the Nicolaitans, theologians believed that that was the, the worship of human rulers. What was going on in Pergamum? They had idol worship, y'all. They were worshiping idols. Now, for argument's sake, if you're one of those people, I'm gonna hit you hard right now here. You're going, hold on a second. It says only some were worshiping idols. That means the rest of them were doing okay. What if that some is referring to intolerable behaviors in all? Have you ever put a couple drops of food coloring in a jar of water? What happens? Does some of that water turn color? All of the water turns color. Anybody in here do laundry? Okay, a few of you. I don't, I don't wanna smell the rest of you. For those who do laundry, maybe you guys have a good outsourcing service that you can refer to me. If, that, if you don't do it, send it my way. If you do laundry, have you ever thought about like pouring bleach into the basin of your washer? If you were to dump a bunch of black clothing into that bucket of bleach, what's gonna happen? Yeah, it's gonna compromise the color of your black clothing. In other words, some will compromise all. Jesus is saying it's only gonna take one bad apple to spoil the bunch. Some will compromise all. Or as I like to say, some will spoil all of your heart. So he says in verse 16, repent, therefore, otherwise I will soon come to you and I'll fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Jesus is saying, I command you to repent. You know what I love about Jesus? With every conviction, he gives direction. With every correction, he gives direction. He's saying, don't do that, but repent. He's saying that repentance is the antidote. Verse 17, whoever has ears, he says, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will also give that person a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to the one who receives it. Jesus is saying, I'm gonna reward you. There's something great in store. Now, maybe you're like me. First time you read this, you're like, what is hidden manna? Like, I don't see that on the menu when I go out to eat. Well, you won't because it's the food of the righteous. Or as I like to say, the cuisine of heaven. If you can just picture for just a second your favorite meal, something savory, maybe something sweet, multiply that times a trillion. It is unfathomable, this cuisine of heaven that is the hidden manna. Or the name written on the stone, what's that referring to? Anyone in here ever sinned before? All right, okay, we got honest people in church. Good job, y'all, that's right. My hand's up, so are my toes and my hairs, like all of them. Because Jesus is saying, listen, you're sinners, therefore you deserve what? Hell. But he's saying, guess what? If you remain faithful, you won't receive that penalty. Instead, you're gonna receive a verdict of innocence, of reprieve from death. Isn't it crazy how even the church of 
Pergamum, the faithful church, the one that Jesus was commending, had some issues. Might that make some of us go, I might have some stuff that he wants to deal with too. What was their stuff? Idol worship. Maybe you're sitting here like, I would never worship an idol. Can I tell you guys that humanity has been struggling with idol worship since the very beginning? It's why Jesus or God issues the first commandment in Exodus 20 verse 3. What does he say? You shall have no other gods before me. And then the apostle Paul in the New Testament, he knew that they were still struggling with idol worship. And so he said to the Colossian church in Colossians chapter three, verse five, he says, so put to death and deprive of power the evil longings of your earthly body with its sensual, self-centered instincts, immorality, impurity, sinful passion, evil desire, and greed, which is a kind of idolatry because it replaces your devotion to God. An idol is anything that we value, anything that we spend more time with, anything that takes position over God. And can I just say, either Jesus is Lord of all for you, or he's not Lord at all for you. Guys, there's no straddling the fence on that one. Either Jesus is Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. You know, like the Christians in Pergamum, I think that we have to be careful of these subtle normalizations of worldly behavior because what it does is it creeps in and it starts to create a weakening in our character that allows us to head towards sin. So what does idol worship look like today? I'm glad you asked. We're going to cover that very thing. I want to cover 10 American idols today. These are subtle lures that draw us away from the very one who created us. 10 American idols. Y'all ready? Number one is identity. Identity. This is who we are, what we identify with. Is it our work? Is it our genders, our race, maybe our looks? You see, culture today is saying, go find yourself. Discover your true potential. And everything is trying to attract and draw us in so that we'll identify with something other than our true maker. Culture is even trying to tell us that we can identify with things that are biologically impossible, y'all. Outdoor plumbing does not equate to a birth canal. End of story. How about personality types? Y'all know the Enneagram? Oh my gosh, I love that tool. But wow, I see people taking that to a whole nother level. And they're like, oh my gosh, I'm a four. I get super emotional, so I'm just going to do everything through a super emotional lens. Or in my case, I'm an eight the challenger, and if I'm not careful, like I'll be challenging stuff just for the sake of challenging it. My point, guys, is we've gotta make sure that our identity is rooted in exclusively the Father. That's what we were designed for. How do you know you've got an identity idol? The tall tale sign is you constantly feel like you don't measure up. Like you've gotta get 
one more degree. Like you've gotta achieve one more milestone at work or make sure that one more person agrees with what you're doing. We were designed to identify with God and God alone. Number two, moving on. American Idol is money. Money, 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 money. Material things. Western culture has been bowing its knee to money and material things for generations. Keeping up with the Joneses, chasing the next buck. If I'm being honest with y'all, this has been a struggle for me. I grew up with not a lot. So by the time I turned 14, I got my first job and then I had multiple jobs thereafter because I was bound and determined to never not have enough money. What had I done? My literal pursuit of not, or of making sure that I had enough was bowing down to money as my God. I was counting on money for the very things that I needed to be counting on God for. You see, you don't have to have a lot of money for money to have you. And it's not about, money's not a bad thing, right? Money's a great tool. It's not about what we have. It's about what we long for. And if we're not careful, money can take the place of where God says, I want to sit. You know, he told us in Matthew 6, 24, he says, no one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. We got to be careful not to put our trust in money versus putting our money in God's trust. Y'all tracking with me? All right, number three, we'll keep rolling. American Idol is our jobs, our status, the positions that we hold. Where are my Gen Xers and Boomers at? All right, y'all, this tends to be us, not exclusively, but we gotta be careful that the positions that we hold, whether in the marketplace, maybe in our home, or even in church, don't become so important to us that we forgot the one who placed us in that position. Because that role, what does it do? It gives us power. It affords us an influence. Or maybe it provides us with a purpose that we didn't have before. Is it bad to want to seek out a job that you love or to love the job that you have? Of course not. But if we're not careful, our job can become our God. Number four, physical appearance. Where my ladies at? Yeah. Whoop, whoop. This tends to be us constantly trying to fix our outward appearance. Maybe we're spending hours at the gym to get that just right bod. Or for people like me who don't like the gym, we're jumping into a pair of Spanx. <laughs> Ladies, you know what I'm talking about, right? I'm not going to go anymore for the men's sake. We're buying the makeup to contour our faces, hide those fine lines, buying the right clothes to accentuate that gym bod. Is it bad to care what you look like? No, but if we're not careful, every time we walk past a mirror, we're going, oh, that, that needs to be addressed. Oh, got the chicken neck going on. 
and we're not focused on, wait a second, that's God's design right there. That's a masterpiece that I'm looking at in the other side of the mirror. Man, I'm gonna pick on you for a second. I don't know what happened during COVID, but all y'all grew facial hair. Am I right? And it was like the longer we were in isolation, the longer the beards got. I mean, you had all these companies popping up out of nowhere for beard care. I had never heard of beard balm until two years ago. Beard oil. And somehow Instagram has like targeted me. I get all the ads. So, I, you know, I don't know what my problem is. I got to check on that. In all seriousness, though, guys, we got to make sure that our physical appearance is not consuming our attention away from what God is trying to highlight in us. Number five, American Idol, is entertainment. Entertainment. Man, we are obsessed with being entertained. You got Netflix, TikTok, YouTube, podcasts, vacations. What am I missing? All the things, right? Is it bad to want to be entertained? No, but you know what I think the problem is and the reason that the Lord highlighted this to me while I was prepping for this message is he said, Diana, my children don't know how to be still. We are constantly seeking entertainment, some way to stimulate our brains when the Lord is like, if you would just sit still for a second, you'd hear what I have to say to you. A new business strategy I wanna download to you. A word to share with someone to encourage them. He's sitting there waiting. Last time I checked, the Bible says, be still and know that I am God. But man, we don't know how to be still. We're constantly consuming stuff. Is entertainment bad? Nope, but it's not our God. Number six, sex. The American Idol, sex. And I'm not talking about just the act of. I'm also talking about our thought life. Where are our thoughts going today? You know, pornography is everywhere. It used to be that you had to like call an 800 number or like subscribe to some kind of a service, but now all you have to do is turn on the Game of Thrones, like full-on X-rated scenes, y'all. Or I was at the nail salon the other day. Ladies, you know your hands are like tied up, right? They're doing stuff to your hands. And I've got a TV right in front of my face. And what's on? The Young and the Restless. Yeah. Anybody watch soap operas way back? All right, come on. I did. Yeah. Okay, yes, we got some honest people. Well, okay, so I'm watching. I'm like, ooh, I haven't seen this show in a long time. I'm sitting there watching it. All of a sudden, this lady walks into this man's office, and I was like, oh, my. Literally closing my eyes, my nail lady's like, are you okay? I'm like, yes, I just can't watch what's on that screen because it's inappropriate for my mind to consume. For my single people in here, if there is something or someone that is stirring a sexual urge in you, you better put up some boundaries fast. Or for my married people in here, if there is something or someone that is stirring a sexual urge in you that is not your spouse, you better run for the hills. Culture has sexualized everything. We just heard from Tyler, children's story hour. We gotta guard against this. Sex in a marriage bed was God's design and it is absolutely amazing, isn't it, married people? 
But if we're not careful, we can be seeking out sex to fill voids that were never meant to be filled by anything but the Father. Number seven, comfort. American Idol, comfort. We just heard Tyler talk about comfort. I had a woman in my life group recently, she made this declaration over the women. She said, I declare that you will be comfortable being uncomfortable. And we were all like, what? Being uncomfortable is how we were called to be as believers. Jesus calls us to a life of calling, not to a life of comfort. In fact, I would challenge you, if you declare or say that you're a follower of Jesus in here and there is not a single part of your life where you're operating in some sort of discomfort, I would challenge that you might be going with the crowd. Why is this dangerous? Any need that we have can be fulfilled with a click of a button. And in two to four hours, it is sitting on your front doorstep. God designed us to need him. But again, we're filling our, ourselves up with comfort, with the amenities, with the luxuries of everything at our fingertips, and we don't have a need for what the Holy Spirit brings. We gotta be careful being comfortable. We might just find ourselves like Peter when they said, hey, aren't you a follower of Jesus? And he's like, not me. And then the rooster crowed. Number eight, American Idol, phones, technology. Man, this bad boy goes everywhere with me. We went to Carowinds recently. My husband and I took our kids. You guys know Carowinds, the roller coaster theme park? When there's a ride called the Fury, and my husband went on the Fury with his phone and our son, and he came back with just our son. And I was like, hey, babe, I'm just saying, God might be telling you that that thing needs to take a little break. You know, the average American adult looks at their phone 96 times a day. And if you're between the ages of 18 and 24, double it. Why is that a problem? Because instead of reaching for God, we're reaching for a device We might be looking for an answer like, oh man, should I go left or should I go right? Instead of saying, hey God, what should I do? We're like, Google. Or if we're trying to decide on something important in our lives, we're not reaching out to the Father, the one who knows the answers to all. We're phoning a friend. We're looking up a white paper to research what the latest and greatest is. We gotta be careful with this. Number nine, American Idol is family, children, significant other, relationships. Can't tell you how many times in our years of pastoring where my husband and I have literally been praying fervently for somebody to meet their significant other or for them to conceive a baby and have the family that they've been longing for. And when God blesses them with the very thing that they've been praying for, we stop seeing them show up to church. We're calling them like, hey, where you at? Oh, you know, I'm busy, the baby. Where you at? Oh, my spouse had this event. So, you know, we're just, we're not going to be there on Sunday. If we're not careful, the very gifts 
that God has blessed us with will take the place of him in our lives. My single ladies, man, I have a heart for you like nobody's business. And I've had such a pleasure of praying for your Boaz. But if I can just challenge you to first covet Jesus. And when you find yourself so deeply in love with him, I can promise you that man that you've been praying for is going to come walking right in your life when you least expect it. Number 10, last one, American Idol, influence, fame. You know, with the advent of social media, we all have our chance at fame. Thousands of followers, captively listening to every word that we have to say, or watching what we're posting, checking that filter and then going, oh, wonder how many likes I got. I just tried out that new filter. Man, made me look good. And if we're not careful, we'll start being concerned with who's following us versus who's following Jesus to heaven. Social media is not a bad thing. The opportunity for influence and fame, the platform that God gave you is not a bad thing, but how are you using it? What's all over your Instagram? Is it selfies and gym pics and pictures of of things that don't matter or is it pointing people back to God? You see, guys, all of this stuff that I've talked about, none of it's bad stuff. In fact, most of it is really good. But when a good thing becomes your the thing, you've got an idol. And I think like the church of Pergamum who was compromised, not overtly, but because of these subtle small things that had crept in, weakened their character. And Jesus is saying, if you don't be careful, it's gonna break you. It's gonna pull you away from me. So maybe you're going, okay, this is great. Like, what do I do when I figure out that I've got an idol? I'm glad you asked. The scripture says in Proverbs 28, verse 13, whoever conceals their sins does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. What did Jesus say to the church of Pergamum? He said, repent. What does it mean to repent? For me, it looks like this. Oh, yep, I see that Jesus, like, ugh, totally. Like you called me out on that one. Take it from me. That's repentance. It's acknowledging and then surrendering it for Jesus to take it over. Will you guys stand to your feet? On June 24th, 2021, at approximately 1.22 a.m., Champlain Tower South, a 12-story beachfront condominium in the Miami suburb of Surfside, Florida, partially collapsed. 98 people died. A contributing factor under investigation is long-term degradation of reinforced concrete structural support in the basement level parking garage under the pool deck due to water penetration and corrosion of the reinforcing steel. This is a news article from last summer about a very tragic event that happened in Florida. But you know what 
What I find so disturbing about this story is I found another article that in 1996, do the math, that's 25 years prior, an inspector went to this very condo and he did an evaluation and he said there are cracks in the foundation of this building. And he said, these cracks, if not addressed, if not dealt with, will lead to a catastrophic event. What happened? They turned a blind eye. Instead of investing the millions of dollars at that time, they now are suffering from death. 98 people who lost their lives. And you know what I think is important about this? Is I think Jesus is saying, listen, you've got some cracks in your foundation. They might be small, but if you don't pay attention to them, if you don't heed my guidance, those things will lead to something significant that will draw you away, that will lead you into sin. Church, Jesus is calling us right now. He's saying, will you let me put my finger on the place that I know is going to be your Achilles heel in the future? Can we just close our eyes and bow our heads right where we are? And church, can we just take a moment and allow Jesus to highlight what he's trying to change in us? You know, he loves us so much that he doesn't want to leave us the same. If you're in here today and maybe one of those 10 items or maybe something else you felt like Jesus is saying, listen, I want to highlight this to you because I want you to address it. If that's you, would you just be honest with your king right now and just lift your hand? Thank you. Hands up all over the room. Thank you. You know what happens when we're vulnerable like that? It's called repentance. He says, I can work with that. Maybe you're in here. And you've not yet received Jesus as Lord and Savior of your life. And if you were in a 12-story condo that collapsed tomorrow, would you know without a shadow of a doubt if your destiny would be heaven or hell? If you'd like to make Jesus Lord and Savior of your life for the first time or maybe recommit to him right now, would you just lift your hand so I can pray with you? Thank you. I see your hand. Thank you. Church, if you'll just repeat after me, Heavenly Father, thank you for loving me well enough not to leave me the same. Thank you for sending Jesus to die and rise again. Thank you that my eternity is secured with you. In Jesus' name, amen.